And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the Spirit of God who's here to minister to us the life-giving source of your word. As I step back, I ask for the Holy Spirit to step up so that every word is said will minister life and encouragement to your people. And I pray in Jesus' name that everyone here will leave this place better than when they came. And that, Father, their lives will have direction as a result of your word. And I thank you in advance for signs, miracles, and wonders following our lives as a result of your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Let every believer say amen. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you are visiting us, you may wonder what the table and the stool is all about. I'm in a series called 101 with Pastor Evan. And uh, this series kind of surfaced out of a need that I had that I felt I just needed to talk to uh, our church, talk to uh, my church from a pastoral, uh, pastoral standpoint. I mean, the sermons are good and they're great and even what you're going to get today is, is pretty much, uh, it's, it's a sermon, but it's based on questions that uh, I was sent by members. And so some of you all who are here this morning are going to hear the answers to questions that you may have sent in. And so uh, it actually takes more work to do this than it does for me to create a sermon. Because the questions are coming from all different directions, and in some cases, or in most cases, I have to do some form of research that's different than what I would normally have to do. So I'm going to jump in and, and uh, you know, at first I, I said that I was going to answer a set of questions in the 9 o'clock and then answer a whole different set at 11. But because of some of the issues that I'm talking about, I still felt it was necessary to do the same thing twice. In other words, I need our church to grow at the same time. And uh, honestly, I just couldn't see a lot of you all going to the podcast, listening to the service that you didn't attend because I did a different set of, uh, of questions. So this morning, you, uh, the first and service, second uh, service is going to get the same thing, but touch your neighbor and say, put your seatbelt on. All right, so question number one, question number one, and I'm going to read it. It says... Uh, I've been waiting for a sign from God about giving my ex a chance as he has realized the mistakes he made and has asked me for a chance to prove himself to me again. He has been completing the list of requirements that I have provided for him to be in my life as more than a friend. We have remained friends for two years with no benefits. I'll explain that in a minute. And he expressed to me that he is ready to give us a try. He insisted on it. My question is, here's the question. How does he go about getting closer to God and being a leader in our relationship? What steps does he need to take to be a good Christian man? 
and give this second go around a great chance with me. He's got a lot of proving to do when it comes to being on the level of Christianity that I am on. He just needs help. Everybody say, she needs help. <laughs> now, <laughs> I would really hope that he is the one asking questions on what step, steps he needs to take to get closer to God. But I'm going to hold my pastoral comments about the question at, until the end. Now, the best way for someone to get closer to God must start from a position of hunger for that person. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, you can write it down if you're taking notes. It says, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God does not fill a person based on our desire that we feel they need to be at. He fills them according to their desire. Amen. James 4, 8 says, if we draw close to God, he will draw close to us. Now, as far as this guy becoming the leader in the relationship, this becomes a matter of his spiritual maturity and training. See, I believe that leadership is learned before it's earned. Everybody say, leadership is earned. No, say leadership is learned before it's earned. And the bigger issue, I believe, in this whole question is wrapped up in my concern as her pastor and spiritual father. See, I need you to understand that when I'm answering these questions, it's with the perspective of, in this case, her being my spiritual daughter. See, here's the thing. You may not realize it, but... Even if you're older than I am, God has put me as an overseer spiritually in your life. See, this is why it's easy, not, easy for me to not sleep with any of the women here. Because why would I sleep with my daughter? Touch your neighbor and say, I didn't know he was going there. No, no, no. no. It's, it's, it's real easy it, if, if the perspective you have as a pastor with the women in your church that they're your daughters... There's no temptation to sleep with them. Amen. Thank you for the hand clap. And if I was sleeping with somebody in our church, you would have already known about it, and they would be standing up right now. Amen. It ain't happening. First of all, I want to commend you and praise you for maintenance as a friend with no benefits of uh, no no benefits or friends benefits in your relationship. What that means is I'm so glad that you have not slept with this guy. Now, my first question to you would be if he was never your ex. Listen to this now. This is going to help most of you all in here who are in situations like this. If he was never your ex and you were meeting him for the very first time, would his current spiritual and natural maturity be enough for you to start a relationship with him today? That's the question. 
If you met him for the first time, would he be spiritual enough, strong enough, and, and have things in order in the natural enough for you to date him? Because if the answer to that question is no, you shouldn't even be entertaining it. If the answer is no, then you should not be not only considering it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be more problems for you than it is blessing. Now, the question really should be, has he made any spiritual progress in his life while you guys were apart? Because men are very good with accomplishing lists when they are in pursuit of a woman. Can I get an amen from the men? Do you want to always be providing a list in your relationship for this man to be and do? Unless, uh, do you want to have to do that or do you want them to be spiritually mature on their own and grow? Now, just the fact that you said that he has a long way to go to be at the level of Christianity that you are on says one of three things to me. Number one, that you are either out of his spiritual league. Number two, the spiritual bar that you have is set too high. Or number three, he can do better, and that's what you want to see. You want to see him do better. Well, the struggle you are having is that he, watch this now, this is, touch your neighbor and say, he's about to slap you right now. <laughs> the struggle you are having is that he's better than he used to be, but inside you know he's not where he needs to be. So here are some standard questions that I need you to consider. And so if you're dating somebody or you're thinking about dating somebody and you're trying to figure out should you engage into a deeper relationship with them, then here's some questions you can ask. Here's the first one. If he is not in the same spiritual grade that you are in, is he close to it? Or is he in kindergarten spiritually and you have your Ph.D.? I think you are looking for God to give you a sign from the outside when the sign should come from his word. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says this, Thy word, have I hid, uh, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. In other words, God is not going to, uh, he, he shouldn't have to bring some lightning out of the sky to give me an answer to something. God's answer to my life should be based on his word. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you don't have peace about it and you're trying to justify letting this guy back in your life. Well, I have a question for you. Do you think God has the power to do better than your ex? I mean, I wonder, does this guy go to church? I don't know. I wonder, does he go to church? And if he does, I wonder, does he go on a, on a regular basis? I wonder, is he committed? I wonder, does he serve in his church? I wonder if he's a tither. I wonder, has he been celibate since you left him? Because you might be happy he wasn't. You know, you weren't giving him some, but my question is, who was? <laughs> if a guy starts acting right when he comes into your life, you are marrying a faker. Now, I'm not saying this is not the guy for her, but just listening to this, uh, there's too much that she's got to do to make this right. My advice to you 
is to remain friends with no benefits. Watch his spiritual growth. And until he's at the spiritual level that you believe he should be on with you, don't mess with him. And then don't tell him, well, the reason I'm not in your life is because, you know, you don't really have your spiritual life. You're not strong enough, da, 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 da. No, because what he's going to do, he's just going to create a checklist, and he's going to make sure you know that he's checking them off. No, 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 he needs to check them off without you. Amen. Here's question number two. Let me read this one, too. Question number two. I'm married, and I always feel my husband puts his mother or his family before me. <laughs> especially when it comes to money. I ask him multiple times to put me and our kids first and to talk to me before first making financial decisions. How should I address this issue should it happen again? Everybody say that's a good question. All right, so let's see how we're going to tackle this one. Let's start out with... Uh, Grab your Bibles and uh, let me see how I want to deal with this one. Uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Uh, Amos 3.3 says this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, the message Bible for Amos 3.3, this is for married people, it says, do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going to the same place? On the surface, and I'm talking to her now, on the surface, it looks like the issue is that your husband is financially choosing his relatives over you and your kids. When in reality, the real problem here is that you all have not structured an immediate family financial plan that you can agree to. See, before you start this issue with comparing what he does for his mom versus what he does for you, the need here really is to structure a financial plan that you both can be in agreement with. And in this plan, there should be some basic rules. In other words, once you put a financial plan together for your family, in that plan should have rules, and like here's one of the rules. All financial decisions should be discussed and agreed to before they are made. See, if you have a financial plan as a family, and this is part of the criteria, then he's not going to go do stuff for his mom and for his other sisters and brothers and all that. He's not going to do it because in the guideline of you all's financial structure, in it says... Go talk to each other, watch this, and agree to whatever is going to be done before you do it. Here's another rule. Maybe all spending should be able to be traced back to an agreed line item on your budget. In other words, I can tell you right now, they probably don't have a budget. And if they do have a budget, it, they probably haven't agreed to how the line items on that budget would be spent. Because if, let's say he has an allowance and... You know, they've agreed she gets an allowance and he gets an allowance. If he wants to give his allowance to the, to the Fort Worth Zoo, that's his business. I mean, if he wants to give all of his allowance to his parents, hey, he don't tell her what to do with her money. 
If she want to go shop with her money and go spend it, that's fine. But that's not the case here. I think what's going on here is they don't have a plan. And so the biggest principle to marital financial success is being in agreement. Say in agreement. It's being in agreement to how the money is managed and spent. And listen to this. You can write this down. This will bless you. God will always bless righteous financial unity. I'm going to say that again. God will always bless righteous financial unity. Now, I'm going to read Psalm 133. I'm going to read it out of the contemporary English version. This is what it says. It is truly wonderful when relatives live together in peace. It is as beautiful as olive oil poured on Aaron's head and running down his beard and the collar of his robe. It's talking about now uh, relatives dwelling together in unity. Verse 3, it is like the dew from Mount Hermon falling on Zion's mountains where the Lord has promised to bless his people with life evermore. In other words, he's saying that God will bless his people at the place of unity. So what I suggest to you is that I would ask your husband to schedule some time for you all to discuss your finances. When you sit down and talk to him, the goal should not be to point out how many mistakes he's making, but to find the place of financial unity and function from there. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? If you sit down with him and say, listen, I'm tired of you giving your mama all this money. I'm tired of you helping your brother. You bailed him out. You took our gas money and you gave it to him, you know, to get out of jail. You know, no, no, you're not going to do that. What you're going to do is you're going to sit down with him and you're going to find the place of financial unity. And you're going to start right there. In other words, you're going to say, listen, how can we make our finances better as our family? Guess what? We need some kind of guidelines. We need a budget. So you're going to function from there. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, because see, here's the thing. Let's say she asked him to sit down and talk about the money. Oh, geez, I'm talking to some people right here. Let's say she tries to talk, sit down and talk to him, and he refuses to do that. Then if I were you, woman of God, I would obey 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. I'm going to read it just in case you won't go home and read it. This is what it says in the contemporary English version. In the same way, you wives should yield to your husbands. Then if, watch this, some husbands do not obey God's teaching, they will be persuaded to believe without anyone saying a word to them. They will be persuaded by the way your, their wives live. Your husband will see the pure lives you live with respect for God. It, watch this. It is not fancy hair, gold jewelry, or fine clothes that should make you beautiful. No, your beauty should come from within. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that would never be destroyed. And it is, a, it is very precious to God. Verse 5 says this. In the same way, the holy women who lived long ago and followed God made themselves beautiful yielding to their own husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, her husband, and called him her master. You say, well, I ain't calling him that. <laughs> and you women are true children of Sarah. If you always do what is right and are not afraid, verse 7, in the same way you husbands should live with your wives in an, in an understanding way since they are, the, they are weaker than you, but show them respect because God gives them the same blessing he gives you. The grace that gives true life. Watch this. Then it says, do this 
so nothing will stop your prayers. See, men don't realize that when you don't treat your wife right, God ain't listening to you when you pray. So let's just pretend that her husband doesn't come to church. Let's just pretend that her husband doesn't believe in God, and let's say he's not a believer. Well, the scripture says, let your life be the thing that makes him believe. So if he still wants to do the money like that, then you can't stop him. See, I think what happens in most relationships, uh, most people, they move from being a spouse over to a parent. You try to tell your spouse what to do, but they grown. You can't tell them what to do. So you say, well, Pastor, what do I do? Well, you know what? If he don't want to sit down and talk about it, then you know what? You trust God and say, God, you handle that man. And it's something else when God starts handling men. God can do a whole lot more than you screaming and hollering. Amen. Now, let me say this. Now, touch your neighbor and say, this is a hood statement. At the end of the day, a married man is dumb not to listen to himself. Say, I don't get that. The woman came from the rib. In other words, she came from him. So a man is dumb if he doesn't listen to him, his wife because he's really listening to himself. Did y'all get that? So man of God, be smart. Listen to your wife because she is your rib. She came out of you. And so you not listening to her is saying, I'm not listening to myself. Question number three. Oh, man. Question number three. Let me read this one. Are y'all getting anything this morning? Okay. Question number three. As a Christian, it's hard to keep positive when everything is continuously going wrong. Uh, no matter how hard you pray and believe. Things aren't what they used to be, but they, ain't, they aren't where I would like them to be either. Here's the question. How do you grow in the word, find peace in the word, have faith in the word? How do you keep from isolating yourself from others, church, and from God? All right. Here's the thing. Before a person can grow in the word, have faith in the word, and even have peace in the word, you must first decide to believe that God and his word, watch this, are one and that his word will outlast anything and everything. See, most people, uh, go to Luke chapter 21. Go to Luke 21. Luke 21, look in verse 33. Luke chapter 21, look in verse 33. It says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. Amen. Heaven and earth shall pass away. So, I'm not sure how old the person is who sent this to me, but, but I've discovered that most young adults and most teenagers have grown up, watch this, to believe in the God of their parents, but they have not had a personal experience with God themselves. And this is why they struggle when they leave home, because here's the thing, they believe in the God of mama and daddy, but they have, don't have a personal experience with the God of their mama and daddy themselves. Now, go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. You can look on the screen if so. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1. See, this happened in the Bible. This is what happens to a lot of teenagers. This is why, listen, you got to make your kids do what's right until they know what's to do what's right themselves. Look, your kids should not have an option to come to church. 
You say, well, Pastor, my, my kids, you know, they're 18. Well, do they live with you? See, here's my philosophy. Until you have a change of address and all the bills are coming to your house and I'm not paying for none of them, you're still under my authority. Well, watch this. Kids can grow up and believe in the God of their parents but not necessarily have a personal, uh, watch this, a personal experience with that God themselves. This is what happened to Samuel. Remember we talked about Samuel earlier? Well, it says in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, And the child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision, chapter, uh, verse 2. And it came to pass that at that time when Eli was laid down, Eli was the priest now, his eyes began to wax dim. He couldn't see, verse 3. And the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now, Samuel was just a kid, verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I, and he ran to Eli, and he says, Here am I, you called me. And he said, I didn't call you, go back and lay down. And so he went and laid down, verse 6, and the Lord called Samuel yet again. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. He answered, I didn't call you, my son, go back and lay down. Now Samuel did not know. Listen, everybody say he did not know. Samuel, even though he was serving God, even though he worked in the temple, even though he came to church with you, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel yet a third time, and he arose and went to Eli. And he says, here I am. He says, you call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called a child. Now, I just want to point something out to you. If you notice that uh, if the voice that Samuel heard was so different from Eli's, he'd have never went to Eli. Which says to me that sometimes, listen, the un to understand the voice of God, you got to be able to understand the voice of your pastor, your overseer. That's why it sounded like Eli. He went and got up and said, hey, you call me. Why? God's voice sounded like his mentor's. Well, look and see what happened here. Finally, Eli was like, okay, God's speaking to him. He didn't even know it. So he says, I want you to go down. He says, lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord. The servant is listening. Watch this. So Samuel went down and laid down again. The Lord came to him and stood and called him again. And he said, Samuel. Then Samuel said, answer, for thy servant, what? Hears. You can see that Samuel loved God and served God, but it was his lack of personal experience with God. And so my advice to this person here would be to, number one, accept God's word as first place in your life. Don't just read it. Saturate yourself in it. Absorb yourself in it. Believe it. Confess it over your life and begin to obey it regardless of your feelings. And if you're going to go, through, listen, and a lot of times we're going through three phases uh, sometimes. You can write these down. Sometimes people are going through three things. Number one, you're either going through a trial. Or your faith is being tested. Now, James 5, 13 says this. Is anyone among you afflicted? That word afflicted means if any person among you is suffering hardship or trouble, notice what he tells us to do. He says, let him pray. It didn't say let them pray. It said let him pray. When you're going through something in your life, don't just get on the phone and ask everybody to pray for you. You pray for yourself. Now, as far as isolating yourself from church and from 
people and Christian and all that kind of stuff. To me, that's the trick of the enemy because his tactics have never changed. The best way to kill prey is to isolate it. All you got to do is watch the Discovery Channel. When he's after prey, when the lion is after prey, their, their goal is to separate the flock and then go for the weakest one. Well, you are part of the body of Christ. And until you believe this, you will not see how important of a role you play in the body of Christ. See, not only does isolating yourself hurt you, but it hinders the body of Christ because God only made one of you and your uniqueness is needed. Sometimes, watch this, you have to make yourself do the right thing. Listen, don't let the thoughts of isolation, don't, don't obey those thoughts. Sometimes you have to make yourself do right. Everybody say, you got to make yourself do right. Listen, normally on Sundays, I pop up anywhere between 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. I pop up. I've had a busy week, been out of town, all that kind of stuff, and so I didn't pop up. My alarm popped on. Well, when it came on, I snoozed it. And uh, I snoozed it from 3.45 to 15 minutes. And I kept snoozing it. And finally, it got to the point where I just had to make myself get up. Sometimes you have to make yourself do what's right. See, I have found that the average person doesn't understand the significance of, the, of even coming to church. See, the enemy don't want you in here. See, watch this now. Because there's more faith being generated in this room that you could, ever gener that you could never generate by yourself. See, you'd be surprised what takes place. You know, there are people, like there are some people that got healed during our, during, during our intercessory prayer time. What if the day was today that breakthrough was going to come while you're worshiping in praise and worship and you obeyed your flesh and stayed in the bed? Do you know God is not obligated to repeat himself? There are some people, I believe, that got left behind. You remember when the, when the Red Sea parted? I believe there are some people on the other side that, that, that didn't go because they was like, I ain't going over there. What if they drown? Well, God, we've never heard of a second time God parting the Red Sea, did we? So whoever got left on the other side, they got left on the other side. Well, don't, listen, don't let the enemy push you to obey your flesh. It's easy to stay at home, ain't it? Very easy. How many had to fight? See, let me tell you what I did. See, the devil, he, he knows not to be messing with me. When, and it was my flesh because I was tired or whatever. But you know what? I got up, and because I struggled with getting up this morning, man, guess what? I just started launching intercession for y'all. Lord, whoever is struggling getting up this morning, get them up in Jesus' name. Strengthen them right now with might by your spirit in Jesus' name. Let them know, God, that when, you, when they show up here, you're going to meet them here. I mean, I started praying for y'all. Guess what? devil ain't going to mess with me no more. He's going to let me just pop right up at 3 o'clock. Okay, I, I'm going to finish four. I know I'm past the time, but I need to finish four. I have five, but can I finish four? Okay, here's question number four. Now, this was, this was kind of, this is different. Does everyone have darkness, the devil, or depression inside of them? How do you keep it from taking over? Well, let's start out by saying that the devil and depression are two different things. The enemy can depress us, but watch this now. Depression is not always the result of the devil. 
See, a lot of times there may be a chemical imbalance in a person that can create a depressed state. And sometimes these physiological traits are genetically handed down from our forefathers. And this is why some people may struggle with, more, with things in certain areas more than other people. So first, understand that you are experiencing, that if you're experiencing uh, depression, it doesn't mean that you're possessed with a devil or a demon. Number two, you must believe and apply the word in, the er in this area of your life. In other words, for example, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ is bigger. But watch this. Whoever you focus on and talk about the most will seem bigger to you. Depression is a state of mind and heart that is a result. Watch this now. This is how depression comes about. It's a result of disappointment. It's a result of being hurt. Or it's a result of what I call unmet expectations. If you are depressed, ask yourself why. The best place to start is to trace your life back to where it started. In other words, where did you first start feeling depressed? And if you can't figure that out, watch this now, then get some counseling. By the way, Word of Truth Family Church, we offer free counseling. Say free counseling. We offer free counseling for our members. That's why membership does have its privileges. We offer free counseling with unlimited sessions as long as you are doing the homework and as long as you are not changing your, your, you know, your appointments five minutes before time. Oh, I can't come. Well, too many of those, you know, they already got authorization to tell you, you need to, you, you need to go talk to Pastor Evan now because you ain't obeying the rules. And all I'm going to say to you is obey the rules. <laughs> You're going to set up a whole appointment and everything to me. You're going to think I'm going to talk about your problem and all I'm going to do is look at you and say you need to obey the rules. Now, there are three things you can do right now. Say right now. Three things you can do right now until you discover the source of this, depressive, this depression or problem in your life. And many people, here's the thing, many people want healing so they can feel good instead of being healed to serve God and others. I mean, why do you really want to be healed? Just so you can feel good? Listen, Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law had a headache, and it was bad. I mean, it had her laid down on the, in the bed, and the Bible says Jesus came, and he laid his hands on her, and watch this. She got healed, and the Bible says she got up and ministered to them. She got up and fixed them something to eat. Why do you really want to be healed? Just so you can feel good? Or do you want to be healed so you can serve God and others? I just threw that in there. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, you can read it. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Watch this, this. To proclaim liberty to the captives and to opening up the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then watch this. I love this because verse 3 says this. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. That's depression. And the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In other words... This is something that God has already prescribed. This is your medicine. So I'm Dr. Connor this morning. And your medicine or your prescription for depression is Isaiah 61 verse 1 through 3. 
what you're going to do now, this is how you take medication, you know. You know how you put it in your mouth and see, and you take it and then you drink it. See, your medication, I'm going to start you with the word. So what you're going to be doing is confessing, Father, I thank you. You said you give me beautiful ashes, you give me joy for mourning, and you said you give me the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lord, I declare that that's being done in my life right now in Jesus' name. And then, watch this now, you may have to go, if you have a chemical imbalance or this thing has been a long-term thing in your life, you may need to go to the doctor. And when you go to the doctor, they may prescribe you some medication. Now, some people don't believe in medication. I do. Because, see, I'd rather take that medication and do my confession, watch this, than to be depressed trying to get out of it with my confession. No, I'm going to do both. In other words, you take it, watch this, Take this, let's say it's high blood pressure. Lord, I thank you that I'm healed of high blood pressure. I thank you that my blood pressure is level. It is fine. My blood system is working. Everything about my body functions right. I am healed in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you that I will not be taking that the rest of my life in Jesus' name. And then last but not least, Make sure you exercise a consistent spiritual life. See, some people don't see the value in a consistent spiritual life. One of the reasons you're depressed, I'm saying this because I know this by the Spirit, you don't have a consistent spiritual life. Touch your neighbor and say, he's talking to somebody right now. I want to end this right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I feel led right now. I didn't know I was going to do this. I need to pray for some people who have been struggling with depression. I don't want you to feel bad about it. But I believe that thing will break if you let me pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Evan, I've been struggling with depression. I need you to pray for me this morning. Raise your hand right there at your seat. Raise your hand right there all over the place. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I see hands all over the place.